The story so far, Katie is still in Festavia and her body is still earthbound, meditating with Kenneth. She's just escaped Lutz's army and with a few party refugees that are looking for somewhere safe. Chapter 14, The Ghost Ship. As a ragtag biker gang, they tore down the coast. The beach grass pricked at the knees and the slopes of the hills and dunes gave a whizzing, sherbet, tingling buzz in their heads. The white horse gallops alongside them, its mane flowing in the wind. Around its neck, the singbox jostled, just out of her reach. She knew she'd have to bide her time, patiently waiting for the moment when she could finally grasp it. The strong wind propelled their bikes forward, transforming them into a pack of galloping horses. On each dip of the hill, they stood up and butterflies fluttered in her stomach. Lutz's army were far behind, too far to catch them. Link cycled up next to her. Peering down, he said, Babe, what now? Adrenaline had consumed her. Her mind was elsewhere. Refocusing, she thought, We must get away. But where? Lynx, we must leave Festavia. Lynx exclaimed, You know we can't do that. Why not? Have you had a berry or something? Festavians can't. You know that. Otherwise we'll be down there, smashing the raves. This place is dead. In a sheltered grassy bowl, they drew breath. They hadn't a plan, and Lutz would surely hunt them down. All encircled them to listen. The pathman rode on the outside, pulling wheelies and bunny hopping. Katie asked, what was out at sea? Nobody knew for sure. An answer they had was, the sea was for the fishermen. It was their domain, and nobody else's. Then she remembered Alec and the festival princess. Link had last seen them heading off to sea in Alec's fishing boat. No one knew where the fishermen came from, but she reasoned that if no one knew, then they must live on an island, and they must find it. Link's and Captain Cash were unsure. None could sell, none knew if such an island existed, and they didn't even have a boat, and certainly not one large enough to carry all. Katie asked Link if he could use his party dar and fill out another party. He said it's on the blink, but I know the galleon is near. Weird, though. There's no energy. Rugger boys never stop raving there. The galleon, she shouted in delight. That's where we met Ajax. He was quiet. <laughs> Do you regret it? She giggled. Leaning over his handlebars, he muttered, If he can't feel them, then they're gone. Vanished. That party was always the biggest. Link said with a wry smile, Nah, mate, that was just a warm-up. Just an ickle rugger boy thing. Oh, yeah. And the girls who like the rugger boys, and the boys who like the girls who like the rugger boys. It's the dating food chain. Well, mate, Ajax snapped, they're dead. Link said softly, bro, come on, let's check it out, yeah? The galleon, an 18th century galleon, moored in a bay further up the coast, was a drinking hall for North Festavia's rugby team. All of Ajax's besties would go post-match, down grog, hug, sing and vomit overboard. Katie hoped it could sell, but it had been moored for hundreds of seasons, a relic of a time past, probably nothing more than a man cave on stilts. They trekked for a day and night and slept in abandoned tents. Punches and broken chains held them back, but the further they travelled, the less arduous the wind became until it was just a gentle breeze. They found a path that Katie remembered riding with Huey, the North team's captain. Fedor, the stallion, was a magnificent beast, the memory of their ill fate made us shudder. Huey, Christine and Fedor were caught in an ice storm and froze to the core. Only their ice forms remained. Bodies and festavias don't rot, they vanish. 
That was our first lesson of how colourful, vibrant place such as Festavia can in an instant become deathly and dark. From high up on a raised hill, they spotted the galleon floating in a bay. It appeared like a mere toy. It was how she remembered. Its timbers, coated in oil, glistened in the sun. It boasted a trio of 120-foot masts, each adjoining a cat's cradle of ropes. A grand, magnificent ship. They descended down a spiralled, dry, muddy path that led to the water's edge. Many hoped the ship had food. They hadn't eaten since the attack. Reaching the bottom... The group of survivors congregated at the end of a rickety gangplank leading to the ship's hull. The mountains overlooking the bay hummed with life. Birds chirped and seagulls squawked. Vegetation was green and lush. Butterflies fluttered from purple and blue heather. The bay guarded the ship from the elements and they felt safe. The bay had its own microclimate. The weather was of a Mediterranean island in spring. Staring at the ship, she could see no life. Only two tall masts, which with its sails neatly tied up. The pathman dipped the machetes into the water. Double O three said, Man's hungry. I bet there's bear fish in there. Double O six said, Yeah, bruv, catch me a cod and chips and fried chicken, in it. <laughs> All except Katie were reluctant to go aboard. You reckon this will sell? she asked, to anyone who'd listen. Captain Cash answered, It looks sort of screwed in. See those four poles in each corner? They're welded to it. It's just a showboat, not used for sailing. Lynx did an early shuffle and Captain Cash said, Yeah, I know, you're showboating. Lynx, with his arms raised above his head like a champion, shuffled up the gangplank. At times he would stop and throw a few uncoordinated punches and shout, The crowd goes wild for Long Lynx, the loving lotus. I am mean, lean and too pretty to lose. Katie giggled and followed. Before they both entered, she turned back. The rest were all sat on the grassy edge watching. They looked tired. The dark eyeliner from the glam rockers had smudged and a scat man was wearily throwing stones into the water. Walking through the opening of the hole, they entered the lobby. This is where, with her heart beating, she'd race Huey up the staircase. Then she was lost in the moment, but now she was fully coldly aware. A distant sound of music came from the top of the oak stairs, the cash counter had a half-eaten sandwich on it. Her hopes raised. Hey, maybe they're here, she said. Lynx shook his head. I can't feel anybody. The lobby had a marble floor and its wide spiral steps invited her to climb. Let's race. You go up that side and I'll go up the other, she said. Babe, I don't think we should. I've a bad feeling. She charged up them. At the top, overlooking the lobby, she did her version of the early shuffle. Old man, she cried. Easy, babe. Don't flex on me. I'll leave you in my dust. When he reached the top, he placed his ear against the stained glass window of the entrance door, signed the officer's mess. It's Chesney, he cackled. I love that song. Let's go, she said excitedly. The thought of a party was easing her up. Lynx whispered, I can only hear the one and only. Uh, that's because there's no one there, Lynxy baby. She threw the door open. He was right. The room was empty. The daylight shone through the portholes and onto an empty dance floor. The wide stained glass windows at the rear twinkled in the light. The room was like a swashbuckling pirate's quarters. Its long, thick oak beams creaked when they walked. Engraved emblems wove around the room's skirtings and handrails. A musty smell of grog hung in the air and sat heavy 
around an open barrel in the darkened corner. The grog was bubbling and frothing. An eel reared its head and submerged. Hey, want a grog? The rugger boys love this. He shook his head. Nah, babe. I don't do toads and bubbles. Rugger blokes drink anything, even sick, she gagged at the thought. Twirling on the dance floor, she paused to look at the frothing goblets perched on the ledges. Lynx, where is everyone? This is like the Mary Celeste. Beats me, babe. There's no energy here. Let's get the others, eat and rest. She led the weary band up the stairs and paused. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hotel Galleon. Here you may dine, converse and rest. The captain of the ship, Miss Peruzzi, will tender to all your needs. Well, most of them, she laughed. A few murmured in response and passed her. Chesney Hawks, I am the one only boomed around the officer's mess. They found crisps and snacks behind the bar. It eased their aching bellies. Nobody could change the song, and Lynx grew frustrated and said, I'll have a look up on deck, maybe there's a DJ booth. She followed him, set of stairs that spiralled upwards through a hole in the ceiling. They stepped out by the ship's wheel. Katie remembered it fondly. Here, she'd worn a hat and played captain. Huey helped her play again. He had charmed her, and she couldn't help but fall for him. As she spun the wheel, she stood deep in thought. Lynx looks all around the raised helm of the boat, to each side were calm waters stretched out in front of the ship's hundred-foot deck. After Lynx had scampered around for a few moments, he held the wheel still. He put his finger to her lips. Shh, he whispered. She wondered, is he really going to go there? She reached to move his hand and warn him. When he pointed her head down to the ship's deck, a shudder ran down her spine, for below them lay hordes of mannequins. They were stretched out on their backs, unnoticeable from the shore. She whispered, I didn't know they slept. Oi, oi, my horrible muckers, Ajax bellowed from behind. Lynx flinched. That surely would have awoken them, but it didn't. Ajax said proudly, we found the decks. Some numpty had glued it on loop. The music stopped. There, they fixed it. Then without warning, all the mannequins rose. Ajax's mouth gaped. His eyes watered and he cried. He turned the lot. Terrified, Lynx stuttered. Ch. Chesney put them to sleep. The mannequins raised their arms and in unison formed two lines standing side by side. Then at once they advanced towards the helm. In a deep roaring voice, Ajax commanded, Go! Leave me! Ajax plugged the entrance with his shoulders and stomped and shouted, None shall pass! Lynx tugged her arm, she said. We can't leave him. He pulled her down the steps. She shrieked, Ajax, no! There was smashing, snapping and crackling. All in the captain's mess watched the top of the stairwell, helpless, awaiting for the mannequins to pour down. They snapped off barstool legs and held them up, cocked back. The noise quietened and fell silent. All waited. Thud. Thud. Slow, heavy footsteps sounded. Ajax appeared, staggering down. He kicked half a white arm and it bounced down in front. He wasn't hurt, but exhausted. Despite this, his cheeky chappy persona seemed intact. What a workout, he laughed. At the bottom of the steps, he made little eye contact and gruffly said, Grog. She followed him, but he barked, leave me. She hesitated, sensing something wasn't right. She knew he needed his space. She remembered the sing box that was tied around the horse's neck. The horse was stubborn and fearful. It wouldn't let anyone handle it. 
It stayed untethered, eating heather and grass on the hill by the bay. She and the captain ventured outside to tame it. Standing at the water's edge, they looked up. There above them, 20 metres away, was the horse, its white coat covered in its muscular form. Through its wide eyes, it gazed back at them. It acted coy and nervous like a gazelle, but as strong as an ox. The captain lost his appetite for taming it. Lying down on her side, with the sun bathing her face, Blue watched tranquilly. She said to Katie, Mummy, I'll catch it for you. Katie didn't like that. It'll probably end up with the horse mortally wounded. Slowly she climbed the hill. The horse took a few trots back. You'll never catch him, said the captain. But she was fully committed to proving him wrong. Jane, Prima, can you hear me? There was no answer. I hope they were right. As she got closer, she spoke softly. Mr Horse, you're free now. Lutz isn't your master anymore. Please let me free the, the fairies in your sing box. They locked eyes for a moment. She felt a connection that she couldn't explain. The horse lowered its head and nuzzled her hand. Then it lifted its head, and, every, and to everybody's surprise, it said in a deep, smooth, Southern American accent, well, Why didn't you say so? She jumped and the captain sighed. Katie, what are you, Dr. Doolittle? Next, a fox will jump out and ask for a cuddle. Well, if you're offering, said a low voice, a stocky animal with four short legs and broad head and coarse hair emerged from the heather. What are you? The captain said in a comical voice. It weaved around their legs, smelling their ankles. It said between snorts and coughs, I'm a honey badger. Katie jumped for joy. I love badgers. I'm not just a badger. I'm a honey badger, the toughest of the lot. Really? said the captain Cash. You've a white stripe in your face, your ankle height. You're a badger. Have you met a badger that can beat up lions? Nope, and I haven't yet. I'm off. Enjoy, Katie, he said, walking away, scratching his head. Are you really that tough? she asked, crouching down to get a better look at him. The badger snorted. You bet. I can take on anything that comes my way. Lions, snakes, even humans. What's your name? Snifter, but you can call me Sniffy. She smiled and said, Sniffy, stand back, please. And she unhooked the silver box from the horse's neck and carefully prized it open. Sniffy tried sticking his snout in, but she pulled it away. Oi, wait. Looking inside, she saw both fairies passed out next to each other. In a panic, clutching the box tight to her chest, she dashed back to the ship. Bursting into the officer's mess, she cried, We need water. They've passed out. Many awoke from a deep sleep, and the scatman said, Be bop 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 There's only grog. She dashed to the far corner and stepped over a snoring Ajax. Snatching his goblet, she plunged it into the frothing stew. A crab's claw tried to pinch her, but she pulled it away in time. Placing the goblet down, she tried to wake them with two fingers. Giving up, she tipped some grog into the box. It filled by a quarter, almost submerging them. Their eyes opened and they coughed and sputtered. Oh my, cried Jane. Prima sat up and felt her soaked silk-white dress. Grog, how am I going to get this out? She found some tissues to dry the fairies, and with Lynx and the captain, she spoke to them. She couldn't wake Ajax. The fairies had been caught as soon as the palace fell. Lutz had caught them, using a large net. He had made them sing all his 80s favourites non-stop, only allowing short breaks for sleep. This is why they were exhausted. Each morning they'd wake to the sound of him singing, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. It was torture, but they held on because they knew Katie would come 
to their rescue. When they dreamed they saw her, it gave them hope. Relief came when they finally were able to communicate through the mirror. Katie was buoyant. She had two more friends rescued, but she feared for the others. Alec, the festival queen, Flash, Mickey and Betsy were still missing. They decided to sleep on the ship. Jame and Prima took turns to watch from the ship's masts. They placed two rowing boats in the water in case they needed to escape. As the night fell, questions filled her mind. She wondered how long she'd been in Festavia compared to Earth's time. Was her body in Earth okay while she was gone? Was Kenneth doing okay without her? She had little choice but to stay. If she left now, there'd be nothing in Festavia to return to and nowhere for Earthlings to escape. Under candlelight, with blackout blinds covering the portholes, she watched Ajax down flask after flask of grog. She tried to speak to him, but whenever she approached, he barked her to be left alone. She racked her brain for ideas of how to break his defences. But she was exhausted of all ideas. Ajax rolled onto his back and slept. He'd comatose himself with grog. He snored loudly. For his benefit, and for all those that slept on the ship, she rolled him onto his side. In the morning, she awoke to see Ajax nursing a sore head. All but they were asleep. Sitting next to him, she said, I'll whisper not to wake anyone. He appeared to listen. Ajax, what's wrong? His face was long and his eyes filled with hurt. He changed all of them, my pals. She waited. He didn't appear to have anything else to say. She said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to do that. what you did. You saved us. Rubbing his face, he said, it had to be me. You're here, Ajax. His mood changed. He, it was obvious he was deeply troubled. I ain't, and you ain't either. Festavia is up shit creek. You should go back and never come back. I can't. I have to help, she said. His shoulders tense and he brewed with rage. This ain't a game. Festavia isn't one of them theme parks. You, you, you could die down here. Stop coming here to play and stay in your own world. She seethed and sighed, but she knew he wasn't think talking straight. She left abruptly and climbed up the deck. Halfway, she stopped and looked over the sleeping rabble. They lay scattered, jumbled like unsold items at a jumble sale. She couldn't give up on them, but she had no idea how to keep them safe. They strolled across the deck. Mannequins, pieces lay everywhere. Ajax could definitely punch. They'd been smashed to bits. She crossed her arms and looked out back to shore. The mountains in the distance wore the sun like a halo, and beneath their tops were carpets of purple and green heather. Scott pine trees, birch and glowing gold aspen trees covered the steep slopes. A breeze brushed her hair, and she breathed in deeply. She saw that Blue and the horse were sitting next to each other, basking in the sun. She thought, good, they've made friends. They should come aboard. Then it dawned on her. That's it, she said aloud. This boat shall be an ark. Running down to the deck below, she cried, Up, everybody! We've got to get the ship sailing! Thank you for listening to chapter 14 of Waking Wraith, which is part of the Festavia series. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Festavia.